1: Hi folks, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Payal and I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my melting pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this Melting Pot and enjoy the chats. Welcome to another weekly episode of Melting Pot. Today I'm in conversation with Maha Khan Phillips. Now, Maha is based in London. She's a financial journalist and also won awards for it. And then she decided that she also wants to write fiction. So thank you so much, Maha, for joining me today. I'm really, really looking forward to sharing your journey with all my listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Maha, before we start talking about and getting into more detail about your writing and how you became a journalist and then how you decided to also write fiction, just a little bit about you.
0: Well, I grew up in Karachi in Pakistan, so I spent most of my childhood there with a brief stint in Dublin and then I moved to the UK to study and ended up settling here but my home was very much Karachi and also I spent a lot of time in the Punjab where my family had a a farm. That's very much my roots and I until the pandemic I would have spent three months of the year still there. Oh Um, okay that's interesting.
1: Clearly (laughs) a lot of sometimes four months. So So as a journalist, you're able to divide your time between um, the UK and Karachi and maybe wherever else you would like to be at any given point in time.
0: Do you know, I mean, it's been fascinating in the pandemic to see what's happened to the way we work and how we relate to each other. But actually, I was probably one of the first beneficiaries of the, the sort of tech boom and broadband and the ability, to, as particularly as a you know woman with a you know mother, to work from different locations, and it's I was very very lucky. I think so. I, I went freelance I, in 2004, and since then I've been quite a mobile person. Um, oh, interesting! From so you
1: actually, uh, you actually you um, actually freelance. You're not you're not sort of attached to one particular publication or or media.
0: I do edit one publication, but I sort of work across many, many institutions. So I'm, I'm, I wear many hats. Interesting,
1: and which is why I guess I found you a fascinating person to to talk to and be a part of melting pot because a lot of my, in fact. All my guests either wear multiple hats or they've kind of transitioned from doing something to doing something completely different. In your case, you originally started off by being a financial journalist and then moved into fiction writing as well. So, that is something that I am curious about. and But before that, how did you get into journalism? Yeah, I think that may be a good way to sort of start
0: off. It's funny. I think life is, is funny and fate is funny and how things happen is funny because I studied politics and I had imagined that I would have a career in politics. And in fact, I was working with a with a project after graduating that required me to relocate to Rome, but I was based in the UK and my grandmother's British, so I was getting my British residency. So suddenly I was out of a job and I was applying for any job that would have me, <laughs> really, and ended up in the, this sort of financial journalist trainee role. And I thought, well, I'll do it for, for six months and then I'll move back into conflict mediation, which is where I and peacekeeping, which is what I was really interested in. And that six months became a year and that year became two years and that two years became five years and so on and so forth. And what I realized is what really matters is the sort of human interest angle, even in financial journalism. So you want to know who wins, who loses, who cares, why people are motivated to do what they do. And once I realized that, I became quite interested in, in that scenario. So, I stayed in financial journalism, okay,
1: then clearly, my next obvious question is, how did you think of uh, writing fiction? Was it something that you know you always somewhere in the subconscious always did want to do or it you just it just happened organically?
0: I always wrote, so I can't remember a time I think from the minute I could <laughs> read and spell, I was writing little stories and I come from this incredible family of artists and writers, and my mother wrote plays. So it was always very much part of my psyche, but I never had the confidence to develop it. And actually, for anyone else out there who, who wants to be a writer and doesn't have the confidence, I think mine is a good story because there was a master's degree in creative writing in London being offered where you had to write a novel in order to graduate, so you, which, which was really compelling. But I didn't have the confidence to apply for that degree and so a friend of mine called my university and got my former diploma and the application form and did it all up and sent it to me and said now you have to do it and (laughs) so I sent some writing samples and the next thing I knew I was on that course and actually my first novel was as a result of that course so So, uh, which one is your
1: first
0: you've written you've written as of now right yeah yeah
1: yeah, so which which was your first one
0: it was called Beautiful from this Angle and was a satire about the media and how it portrays um, themes in Pakistan and Islam.
1: Okay, so it was very specific to, yeah, I mean, I read a little bit about it. So it's very, very specific to, even though it's a satire, to the way and also the way women are portrait right yes yeah there is an uh, angle yeah there is an angle from what i can remember
0: yes so it's about three women that decide to film a fake documentary about an honor killing and they think they're going to sort of become you know very at least one of them thinks she's going to become very successful but actually and actually they do and it goes all the way to sort of the West and, and film awards but then there's the dark side and the legacy of what that leaves um so it plays with the sort of tropes of the oppressed woman and, you know, how we measure oppression and look at oppression and the kind of, I think it, it, it was generated by, I walked into a news agency here in London one day and there was five newspapers and one, and every single one had a negative headline about Islam. So there was, you know, a Muslim taxi driver refuses to let guide dog get into the car. And there was a woman in a hijab who didn't want to take her hijab off or full, full burqa when she was teaching, all that. So that was part of it. And part of it was that I, I have a multicultural family. So my husband is half English, half French. And we were spending a lot of time in France with his family. And they were asking all these questions because it's not well discussed there. Yeah. You know, the role of women in, in Islam is very, very confusing for them or was particularly confusing at the time. And there was, you know, they were banning minarets and all that kind of stuff was happening. So for me, it, it felt like a story that I really had to tell.
1: Okay. And then which one came after? Was it Curse of Mohenjo Daro or was it, uh, which is the other one? Agni uh, Ruby. Agni the, Ruby. Sorry, Ruby. it was a children's yeah. story. Yeah. The mystery oh, of the Agni okay.
0: Ruby. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, so that, okay. That's a children's book. And that was, I was in Karachi and I had uh, hurt my back. So I was kind of flat out. And uh, this it was me killing time. But it was also because growing up, I read a lot of Enid Blyton novels. So <laughs> that was, you know, the famous five were sitting in Karachi in the 80s. And you're <laughs> right. dreaming of you know, lying in the heather and uh, eating hot cross buns and all these things we would never experienced. Which right. turned out right. to be actually very anticlimactic when I finally did experience them. But I thought, well, I've, I want to write that kind of story, but I wanted to be based in Pakistan. So that's what I did. I set it up north and it was an adventure story uh, in the mountains. Interesting. So what age
1: group uh, were you targeting? Young that's adults? Nine to 11. Nine to 11. Okay. 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 Interesting. And then, of course, the only book that I have read of yours, which got me completely hooked is Curse of Mohenjo-daro. So I can't not have a segment of you talking about the book. And I know you've probably repeated yourself many times uh, and talking to different people who've chatted with you, you know, and but I, I think for my listeners, and for me to hear it firsthand from you, I would like to know what, prompted you into writing firstly something that's set in Mohenjo-daro which is such an enigma for a lot of people uh, in terms of a historical site second there is again the focus on women and how powerful women are you know and how they sort of make they're so empowered and so that that's the second and the third is this whole cult, which you know, you've kind of touched upon, is is absolutely intriguing. So it is a thriller for all the listeners, and you know, it's a book which you cannot put down. <laughs> so let's hear it
0: from you. Well, I'm thrilled that you liked it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not liked it. Um, I loved it. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> So I had first been to Mahanjadar when I was nine or 10. And in those days, it was like, you know, now you go, there's sort of boundaries and walls. And, you know, you, it's sort of a little bit more protected. But in those days, there was nothing. And it was a school trip. And we were sort of all dancing in the Great Bath because we didn't know any, any better. And I just remember it resonating and really went, with Sorry. Me.
1: So when you went, you know, when the school took you there, what was yeah. the reason for them to take you there in the first place?
0: Well, just to experience this magical you know ancient civilization it was sort of a field trip that they did every year so i ended up going again the next year as well so it was really just to see look this is what your heritage is and this is how interesting it was sadly since then it's become very difficult to get there because they've closed flights although i believe they're opening some again soon so it's it's much more of a trek it's uh you could have got a flight in the morning and a flight back in the evening but now you kind of end up going meandering different ways and driving and it's it's
1: And so, so what's the reason for that? Is it because they are finally, you know, there are archaeological sort of, it's people are trying to dig and
0: find, and sadly, I wish I wish that was the reason. But the reason I think is no tourism in Pakistan. Generally, I think I mean my personal view is until recently. Although recently there's been huge initiatives to bring change, but until recently, I don't feel like there was enough investment or focus on Mohanjadaro and and its significance. And indeed, on am the Indus Valley civilization entirely. So I suppose, you know, there, there are many demands on the country. But personally, I, I would have given this a priority. Priority, not. yeah. But I loved it and it stayed with me. And it's funny, then I just one day I was Googling. <laughs> one evening I was bored and I was Googling. And I remember a teacher saying to us, you know, nobody ever knew, knew what happened to Mohanjadaro and its residents. So I started Googling and um, I think I'm that's Mahanjadharo mystery. And all this stuff came up about, you know, ancient vehicles and flying abilities and, you know, the role of ancient Hindu gods and goddesses and aliens. And I just, I mean, I didn't know anything about any of this. So then I talked to a friend of mine who was interested in archaeology. And I said, that it's incredible what people are saying about Mahanjadharo. And he said, oh, you mean the Forbidden Science Movement? And I said, what? (laughs) I didn't even know that existed. (laughs) And he said, the Forbidden Science Movement. Go and read about the Forbidden Science Movement. So suddenly I kind of, I went and bought a lot of books. And and it was just this world that I had no idea about. So people who genuinely believe that human history has been suppressed, that we are either the, the result of alien technology or inst- ancient mysticism of some kind, and that governments have actively tried to keep us down. It's a bit like the flat earthers who, who have lots of conspiracy theories. So I thought this is great. I want to write about this. But the only way I could work out how to write about this was to s- develop a cult. Because, you know, it, it's a cult-like mindset to just wholly believe something like this without being willing to look at, you know, other possibilities, scientific possibilities for why things happen and why places exist. So I started fashioning this cult and then I started reading about cults and and that was really fascinating too because I, I read about the fact that cults, a lot of intelligent people join cults because people who are less educated are wary of things that they don't understand, whereas people who are well educated or very intelligent think they can't be so (laughs) and end up in these situations so it was it was a really interesting journey and a really interesting experience of writing about okay so then you just so basically after all how long
1: did it take you to do all this research I mean I heard one somewhere in some panel discussion where you mentioned that the book it started off very differently and you were not really satisfied with it and then you decided to add this other element to it. So is that, so how long did that whole process take? And when did you, re- when did you sort of, after having written the first draft, when, unless it was, in you know writing in progress when you realize that this was not quite working and you wanted to add other elements to it how long did that process really take
0: you know it's so complicated because in the middle of that process I also got sick I got cancer so I sort of stopped and started and I'm fine now by the way (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I was stopping and starting (laughs) and I just knew that you know it it, as a mainstream thriller all the stuff that I loved about Mohandadar was not in this book mm-hmm. and and I thought that was really sad but I'd also been my fear was stopping me because I didn't know enough there's actually not that much information about the Indus Valley Civilization and Mohanjadar in terms of I spoke to the sort of the leading archaeologist who's worked there since the 70s and I said well what kind of food did they eat and he was sort of saying well oh, this and that but we don't know, actually know you know that much and I, and I was saying well you know <laughs> how did they live and there."
1: Since and they've been sort of researching about it since the
0: 70s and they still haven't figured it out. And they still haven't figured it out. And only 10% of the site is excavated because of funding, because of the water table is so high, the damage issues of damages and how they kind of work on that. And I know that's something that's being discussed a lot at the moment. So there was such limited information and that had caused me such fear because I thought I can't I don't know this and then it was actually my friend the writer Kamala Shamsi and she said to me what's your problem this should be liberating (laughs) you know (laughs) you don't know anything do whatever you like yeah actually that that was liberating because then I thought oh my god I can do I can make up this world and who's going to tell me that I can't
1: and Uh, obviously has to be a disclaimer right that it's all kind of fictionalized and it's your imagination and it's not because it's very easy for people to in today's world to just question things that are written and uh, and then hold you know the person who's written it responsible and then there's it escalates and it kind of goes into all sorts of turmoils so
0: I think it's yeah it's 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 so true Yeah, you have to. You have to be... And that's why I said it a thousand years before
1: civilization
0: mm-hmm. actually existed and I yeah. hoped that that was part of that process you're
1: listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me fire on this very unique and special podcast series melting pot what kind of because I know writing is I mean having talked to a couple a few other authors writing is quite a time-consuming process and also you need to I mean which is why you have a lot of these authors who just you know disappear into the hills or wherever and they just focus on writing but what is the process for you is it like a is it something that you do other than your financial journalism writing I mean you know the books that you you you've Written, or I don't know. I mean, I'd soon find out if you're working on another book. But
0: what is the process for you? I think being having another career and being a parent, I, I haven't really had that luxury of going off and um, <laughs> finding a little <laughs> nook or cubbyhole. Right. And in fact, I asked this same question to Alif Shafak the other day. I was interviewing her, and she said that's a real kind of middle class male situation to be in where you you have the luxury of doing that uh, whereas she didn't have that luxury either so for me it's really about any time that I get and sometimes that's the nighttime. sometimes it's between working hours sometimes I'll find myself with a free Friday just go for it oftentimes my family will be rolling their eyes because I'll be saying don't disturb me on the weekend and so yeah it's just finding those opportunities
1: okay and and yeah so are you
0: working on another book or? I am. I'm, I mean, hopefully close to finish. So I've finished several drafts, but I think I, I, I need to do quite a big edit now. And then I'm hopefully close to, to done. It is, it's about, so as you mentioned, I'm sort of, I'm really interested in, in women's stories and what happens to women and, and and women's empowerment, even in a sort of thriller format. And this one is, is inspired, but not based on a true story. About in the year 2000, they found a, a mummy in Balochistan in Pakistan of a woman and this mummy was covered in gold leaf and had a cuneiform writing and it said in 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 that writing that she was the princess a princess of of, of uh, the Achaemenid period and the daughter of King Xerxes. Um, and everyone got really excited and said, oh my God, she's a mummy in Iran, had it. mummies in ancient Persia, was different to what we thought about. And then this, this archaeologist in Karachi, this woman, female archaeologist said, I think she's a fake. And that started a whole process of discovery. And in fact, not only was she a fake, but there's a strong suspicion that she was a murder victim. And that she was not the only one. And the mummy was trying to be sold. There was someone was trying to sell it for $11 million. So I just thought that story was so compelling um, and so shocking, actually. And I spoke to, to the archaeologist involved, who is this incredible woman in, in Karachi who now runs and founded the State Bank Museum. And she's quite a character. And she kind of single-handedly went on this journey with this mummy, and, and I sort of Took her journey and and inspired me to write a different story, but based around the idea of a mummy being a murder victim and a forgery. So clearly,
1: I think you you are now the genre that you really like to write about is our our thrillers. That's one. (laughs) And <laughs> that's established. <laughs> Two, that they're always based somehow connected with Pakistan. And three is, you know, that women play a very, very important role in every book that you write. So I think these are three categories that I've picked up from, you know, talking to you. <laughs> and and that's and, and then you just try and kind of put them all together. And that's how your, your writing happens. So that's that's quite fascinating. I also uh, somewhere was listening to this whole, when you write, how important are emotions into your writing? Like, do you look at it from a very objective you know, when you start writing and the story starts to develop, is it very objectively done? Are emotions, you know, an important
0: factor? Like, how, how does it work? I wish I knew the sort of plumbing of it, how the sausage gets made. But I, 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 it's more intuitive for me, although as a thriller writer, you know, you are you're much more plot based. So you sort of plot things out a lot more so there is that that side of it but for me it's i i sometimes just write and i see where it takes me um in the curse of mahanjadaro i in the sort of one of the drops i had the the scenes that you see in the first chapter which is you know carnage and archaeologists uh, end up in very bad circumstances and yeah. that scene ended up with a character who's in the book sohail the father um, just standing in the desert yeah. and i just went oh why is he there and then I kept writing, and he kept popping up, and I kept shoving him aside and saying, "But you're not this—you're not the part of the story." Yes. And I thought, "Well, he is part of the story, but why? I don't know why he resonated. I don't know what my emotional connection with him was, but he was there. In in this current book, there's there's a, you know, there's some tragedy that happens to some of the characters, and and I felt the heaviness of it. I didn't, you know, I, it didn't—it um, sort of stayed with me. So it's a very difficult question to answer. I think everyone, I think while you're writing, you have a connection to all your characters. So it's like film when you're, you know, when you're as the actor, there's
1: there's a lot of debate on how, I mean, not debate, but there's a lot of actors who look at it differently and their method is very different in terms of how much they get involved with the character and then how the intensity of it or the lack of intensity and then what happens after that's finished and then they've moved on to the next character. You know, do they just kind of keep it like it never happened or or how? Because transition, every character is, is important. So I guess you as a writer, that must, it's like an actor, you know, and the involvement with the... Ca- and for you, as a writer, it's probably harder because you're writing about... And you're developing every character, right? So I guess it's... Yeah, I can, I can...
0: I don't know how it works for other writers, but I can tell you I was cleaning my teeth this morning and I was thinking, oh, Gul, who is my current character, would definitely answer the phone if this person called. Um, you know, just... <laughs> it's just something I was thinking about that just popped in my head. Whereas, you know, so I think there's probably a big brain and a small brain somewhere Then the subconscious, like these things just tick along and you kind of, you go with them. I guess. Yeah. It makes sense.
1: What would you, you know, you have the start of the chat, you have meant, you know, given a few tips, but for uh, young aspiring writers, what, uh, who are, you know also possibly my my listeners what would you suggest to them when it comes to wanting to write a book I know it's a whole sort of you know it's this mega thing but in in a nutshell from your experience what kind of advice
0: would you or tips would you give them I think I would probably say three things and and the first is what really resonated with me was somebody saying to me you know writing is 10% determined, sorry, 10% talent and 90% determination. And, and I thought, okay, well, I can do that. I'm determined. So that was a sort of mindset shift for me, because until then, I was so scared of not, you know, having the talent that I needed to take it forward. But it is really true, because it's a long, it's a marathon. It's not about it's a process of reiteration, writing is a, is a process of reiteration, you know, you're not done when you finish your first draft it's you're you're constantly working improving your writing and your work and that's true for anybody either starting out or you know very very further along the chain in their careers so I would say just focus on just getting the words on the page focus on writing and then rewriting and then rewriting again but also it's been so (laughs) interesting for me to because people ask this and then I'll say well what do you read and and sometimes someone will say I'm not a big reader so that that sort of astounds me because I don't think you can write unless you read and I think if you're going to write thrillers then then read thrillers before you start don't just read thrillers read everything yeah. Yeah. you know but if you're going to write romance and read romance like just it should be sort of as natural as as breathing really and then just don't give up it's so easy to get discouraged but it's it's like anything else it's a tool you have to kind of learn learn how to use it as a tool and the techniques and the, the process and the more you do it the more you learn so i am one of those people that thinks anyone can be a writer as long as they sort of work at it
1: and i think it's true for anything right if you're uh, like you mentioned determination is 90 percent of it i completely agree with you because i think there's n- nothing's impossible you just yeah you just need to you need to have that grit and you need to be absolutely like you mentioned determined and everything is achievable so I I can because I believe in it personally and and I have personal experience of it as well so I I completely understand that point of view and I'm happy that you kind of confirmed it so specifically for for writing but i think it holds true for for anything that you want to do and you should never hesitate and just if you don't experience it if you don't try it you'll never know and then five years later you may regret it and it may be too late by then so yeah completely i, I agree with you there so listeners <laughs> <Get> <laughs> writing. start writing yeah so it's just been, um, I mean, I have so much that I'd love to talk to you about, but I guess we have to be a little mindful of time. So um, when is your new book likely to be published?
0: I don't know. I don't, I'm still working on it. I think I, I need to do quite a big rewrite in the next version. So then, oh. there you go. I thought I was done, but then I, yeah. I, I clearly wasn't. So um, uh, I, I can't answer that, but just uh, keeping my fingers crossed that I get there. I'm sure you will. Again, it's the grit and the determination.
1: <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. I haven't, I've only read Curse of Daro, which completely blew my mind. And so I need to, how would I be able to pick up the other two books?
0: I would love to send them. Oh, great. Really?
1: <laughs> okay. That would,
0: yeah, love that. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. But how would my listeners, in case they want to get hold of a copy, of
0: so it depends where they, where they are, uh, unfortunately. Okay. The Oxford University, so the children's book is, I think, just published in Pakistan.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Oxford University Press. Beautiful from this angle has a French publisher. So it's in French and it's published a Penguin India. So, uh, and there's a Kindle edition.
1: Version of it. Okay. Okay. It. Right. And Curse of Mohinjadharu?
0: Is published in India as well.
1: Okay. Okay. Interesting.
0: Yeah, great. So, know where you picked
1: it up from? I can't remember. I, I honestly, I can't remember whether I picked it up in Singapore or one of my trips to India. I can't remember. But you know, firstly, just the title got me interested, and then of course, I quickly read up a little bit about it. And I love to read, so I, I think it gets to a point where. A decision has to be made. Whether My husband's been trying to move me to reading on Kindle, but I just am not able to do it. I need, you know, the touch and feel of the book is so important. The smell of the paper and all of that. So I have a massive collection of books. I don't know how to look after them because uh, I mean I do take care of them but in Singapore because of the weather the paper turns to whether it's hard hard uh, cover or paperback paper tends to get yellow and I you know and then yeah so I have to try and I'm always trying to figure out ways in which I can look after those books so (laughs) I have it that's amazing collection yeah and and I think it's such a wonderful thing to do to be able to read and because you learn so much and also I respect people authors like yourself were able to actually put your thoughts on paper and whatever and you know and produce such amazing books so I I truly respect that. So thank Thank you so much, much, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation and I'm actually looking forward. I'm going to take you up on the the two books.
0: (laughs) For sure. Afterwards, I'll connect with you afterwards and get your address. Great. Thank you
1: so much. Thanks, Maha. Thank you. For more weekly conversations, do listen to Melting Pot on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. Follow us on YouTube and on Instagram at Podcast Melting Pot. So until the next episode, this is Pyle signing off.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.